Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of NVIDIA sinking after hours. We'll have instant reaction on the stock move and tell you what Wall Street is saying about the earnings report. Plus, it's a retail rodeo. Walmart surging nearly 10% after reporting a 40% jump in online sales. Is it coming back to take on Amazon? A top technician weighs in. But first, we start off with the epic rally on Wall Street. And these words from White House advisor and familiar face, Larry Kudlow. The new numbers coming in, retail sales, industrial production, low inflation, a, a rock-steady dollar. Uh, trillions of dollars of capital from all over the world are coming is coming into the United States because our economy, our investors, our workforce are crushing it right now. We are crushing it. And America is crushing it. The Dow jumping more than 400 points as trade fears ease and Walmart came in with gangbuster earnings. It's the best day for the Dow since April. All the major indices are back within striking distance of all-time highs. So if you're betting on strong growth here at home, do you bet in the major sectors that we're working today, mainly financials and industrials? Karen's long in the banks, of course, as you know. Do you keep betting on this group? Yes. That was a question. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. I think you stay with this group. I mean, the two-day, three-day sell-down, whatever it was, I think, you know, we had sort of rates come back in because of various global events, mainly Turkey. So to me, I think Turkey will be sort of a passing fancy. I like the banks. They're so geared to the economy. And I think we are going to see more inflation. I'm surprised we haven't seen it all tick up already, but I still want to be long these names. The reason why we highlighted the financials, amongst other reasons, is that in today's rally, we really saw a t technology lag. And that was sort of an interesting sort of turn of events yeah. within a market that was so strong. We saw the financials, we saw industrials, we saw materials lead the markets it's higher. It's been the story the whole year where this rotation, you have some lagging sectors, leading sectors, the same amount of money kind of churning around. Uh, you know, I didn't get that excited about today. We're up 400 points on the Dow. You know, we started the day off with some not-so-great housing numbers here in the U.S., and the housing stocks themselves couldn't even get out of their way. So for every good sign, there's a bad sign out there, and we're still in this churn. Uh, and, and, you know, we had talks that there's going to be talks about uh, a potentially a trade deal with China. They're just talking about it. So this is very thin. Like, so you're saying talks yeah. about talks? Talks about talks. It's better than no talks. better than no talks. Yes. It is, but, but then when you hear Larry <laughs> Kudlow this morning go, We're like, full Trump with all of this, I mean, it just seems like, you know, listen, we're not talking that average hourly wages, inflation adjusted in July, were the lowest print in 2012. It was actually, you know, you know so, so wages aren't going up. Their wages are not crushing it right now. And so the fact is that inflation, if we do see a spike, given everything that's going on with the trade situation, uh, we, have, we have a scenario where the U.S. consumer could get badly hit really quickly. And I just want to make one other point. You talked about this rotation. I thought technology closed very badly. Semiconductors closed on the low. Google closed on its low. Netflix is in correction, major correction uh, territory, closed on its low. So I don't really believe you can have a meaningful breakout above the prior highs if you do not have FANG doing it. Now, that being said, Apple keeps surging ahead, closed at a new all-time high. I just think the most important thing is let's see how NVIDIA reacts tomorrow. It's down 10 right. bucks. That's a rounding error for this stock. But if you start losing these leaders, that's really the problem for the market.
Yeah, I mean, I didn't love the way technology acted today either, to be, to be truthful. I do think that, you know, it shows you when you hear, you know, we're sending our undersecretary of trade to China to have conversations and the market reacts the way it does, how important trade is. Trade is the narrative right now that is just dominating the market in what direction we go. So I look at it and hear Larry's, you know, commentary, obviously saying that America's crushing it is a very, I mean, an incredible, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, positive to take out in a, in, a, in a week that we've been, you know, having a little bit of turmoil. But in general, I, I, I don't know that I was really positive today about the way technology traded. I do agree with Dan on that front. Watching NVIDIA and sort of the earnings come out, it's a very crowded trade. It's going to be interesting to see how that trades tomorrow. And again, we're starting to see shorts come back into that sector, given the M&A profile isn't promising, given that no deals probably get done there. Shorts are now more comfortable to, to, to sell short those stocks. That's a little bit concerning for me right now. Having technology, I don't want to say stutter, but slow down compared to the performance so far this year, it's only a problem if you don't believe other sectors in the market right. will catch up or right. pick up in their performance. So the question is, is, does the technology slow down? Is it just because it's being used as a cash register to get into something like the banks? Or is it because there's actually something fundamentally uh, wrong with it? Which I think is exactly Dan's point. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But if NVIDIA, they guide a little bit lower tonight, that's why it's down 4 or 5%. If that doesn't turn around and people don't think that you're going to get that earnings growth, then that would be a negative for the market well, as a whole. I, I don't think that anything's fundamentally sh shifted from, from that perspective. I don't think the fundamentals of technology or why you don't technology have shifted dramatically enough to actually cause a massive pour out of capital from this sector. I do believe that it is being used as a bank account or sorts of funds to rotate into other sectors. I, I agree point. with that. I think yeah. this is a trading-oriented issue, right, a rotation. And I really don't like to go with the rotation. We've seen... So many times that tech, FANG in particular, tech on the other side of momentum with, with banks, with uh, industrials. To me, it's all about the fundamentals and right, so when they report. The other thing, though, yeah. trade, this market is, is, I think, the ballast is trade. Yeah, but that goes it, away. Where I, and I agree. And I, I just think the longer that we turn, the longer we don't give above the prior highs, it just puts the bull market really in question. And so that's why leadership is really important. And I just want to make one point about like Boeing today. I just heard you guys talking about it. I mean, Boeing's a stock that is down about 7% from the all-time highs made earlier in the year. It just rallied 5% off of its lows yesterday. When you see that sort of a per, uh, performance about talks about talks on trade, then you have to start thinking about what are the worst case scenarios? What if this thing drags out much further than we expect? What if every time we see some sort of headline, you know, I, I don't, I, I just, it's kind of interesting that no one, you know, the Turkey situation, it may go away, it may not. The first headline I saw this morning was our Treasury Secretary saying they're readying more sanctions against Turkey, okay? So this is just fuel to the fire. I think this has a potential to be a big war. I, I really do. Forget about, you know, what's going on with an autocrat in Turkey. You mean a big a big trade war? Yes, right. a big trade war. And I just think China. it has... Yeah, I, I listen, and lastly, I just think that I think every one of our um, adversaries in this potential trade war know the incentive to drag this thing out is close to our uh, midterm elections. In terms of what we saw today and what drove the rally, I mean, are we to take away from this that it is trade that is, in fact, going to be yeah. the driver of the market. It wasn't Turkey. Oh, without Turkey a was a sideshow. Turkey was Turkey, a sideshow. I mean, talks about listen, talks, we had, Trump, Turkey. We actually had a lower <laughs> dollar over the last 24 hours. I mean, we rallied a little bit today, but, you know, the concern about the dollar was too strong is out of the market a little bit. That doesn't mean it's over, but it is it is 100% about trade. So Turkey, you have emerging markets slowing down. If you get some contagion, yes, that can be a problem. Uh, but it is really about this global trade story. If we don't have global trade, you're not going to have a higher stock market. All right, so what do we do today, Dan? 
Well, listen, I, I think you do have to be cognizant of the fact we, you just started out by saying. So yesterday, I had a, I've had a uh, short, uh, defined risk, short put position in the IWM, the Russell. It showed amazing relative strength over the last few weeks. I, I put the... I put that out to pasture. I will tell you, though, I'm digging into the SMH because I think if we do lose NVIDIA, I've said it now three nights in a row, I think this is a sector that you're going to see much lower over the next few yeah. weeks. Well, I'd set up to buy NVIDIA if there's any substantial weakness on, uh, tomorrow. I know there's, it's down already, but we'll see more. Uh, also, adding to, like, Pfizer's, the Mercs of the world. I mean, these are names that continue to, to trade very well, in my opinion, uh, and I think those are names you can continue to buy and own for the longer term. Chairwoman. Yes. Uh, I bought some Baba calls just for a trade. Sold half of them today. It opened up nicely and the market was up nicely. And I don't know. felt like Pete there for a second. You know, <laughs> giddy up, the whatever. trade in your portfolio. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so um, I, I like seeing some of the retail numbers. We might get to that later, the, especially after I was uh, Nordstrom's. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm happy to own Macy's. I didn't buy any more today. And then I would like to have sold some S&P puts, but I did not do that today. Oh, with the spike was, in volatility. Yes. Quickly, Beeks. Uh, for me, it was trimming some of the technology exposure. Uh, you know, it's not a wholesale sellout, but trim a little bit. We're at, we were at highs. Why not trim a little bit here? Maybe you even add it to the financials. All right, coming up, check out shares of NVIDIA getting crushed after hours. We'll have instant reaction from a top technician. Tell you what it could mean for the semi-space. Plus, Bitcoin rallying, but, you know, it's still stuck in purgatory. Do we need to go to uh, deeper into the inferno to get back to Bitcoin heaven? We'll explain. And later, more details just being reported about how Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeting could be getting him into big trouble with the SEC. We've got the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City, much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on NVIDIA it's sinking in the after-hour session. Let's get to Josh Lipton as we gear up for the conference call and get some analyst reaction. Hey, Josh. Mel, just checked in with a couple analysts who cover the name. Uh, let me give you their reaction. I checked in with Mike Burton over the Benchmark Company. Here's what he told me. He said the data center was fine. The pieces are looking good. The guide is a bit light. And he said that probably comes down to the timing of Turing. That refers to the company's next-generation chip architecture. So he said his questions on the call, which is going to start in about 15 minutes here. One, the data center. What's the outlook for that business segment? Uh, he said in the quarters ahead. The company's next-generation consumer graphics cards. Uh, he says that might get announced as soon as next week. So the question for investors there, when and how fast is that ramp? Also checked in with Mitch Steves over at RBC. Now, Mitch had a different take on the, on the data center. He said the biggest takeaway is the data center miss versus expectations. He said the buy side was actually looking for closer to $775 million. So that'd be a bit lighter than expected. Also, he says they're going to have to give us more color on how much gaming will accelerate in Q4. His questions on the call. Also, obviously, data center acceleration expected timing of touring, when are customers going to be able to actually purchase those products. Three gross margins, he said. Those have gone up, but they're actually down from Q1 of 19. Also, uh, Will, William Stein over at SunTrust, he just published a note, uh, which I'll share with you guys. He says Q2 was mixed. The Q3 guide was below. And he says crypto seems to be the key issue. And he pointed out weakness uh, in the OEM line specifically. And finally, I'll just uh, leave you guys here on Applied Materials. That's another name that is actually moving lower here in the after hours. You can pin that on weak guidance and specifically guidance related to semiconductors and margins. Again, NVIDIA starts in about 15 minutes, Mel.
All right, Josh, thanks. Josh uh, Lipton with the Wall Street Roundup on NVIDIA so far. Again, the conference call about to start. I go to you because of the weakness in crypto that was highlighted by one of those analysts that Josh was talking to. Yeah, so, I mean, you look at what NVIDIA does, you're looking at Ethereum, really. That's the play on that. Ethereum price is obviously much lower. There is a glut of chips out there. A lot of uh, miners coming, a lot of miners are selling off some of the equipment. So, even if crypto turns around, the price of Ethereum turns around, you may not see the pop necessarily in NVIDIA. For the long run, if you want to play this sector, I still think NVIDIA is okay for it. Uh, but in the short run, you might have a little hiccup. Is there a read-through at all to, let's <laughs> say, an Intel, which we've already gotten the earnings, but is this sort of like a, a further update of what's gone on since the report? Well, the NVIDIA part? Yeah, yeah. And talking about data center or whatnot. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Unless it's a change of share mm -hmm. as opposed to the overall pie shrinking. I don't know. I mean, the data center numbers last time for Intel were really strong. I, th I think that will continue. But like Dan, I am a little concerned about the space. Well, I just say this about crypto in particular. I mean, they've done a really good job of guiding to it, this is a mid single digits business for them. It's, and so they've guided expectations down to a point where it can only be upside if that comes around. I just say this. This is a stock that's been trading, you know, in a fairly narrow range since the start of May. And it's up 33 percent of the year. So a lot of those games came early in the year. When you look out to 2019, you're seeing a material deceleration in earnings and sales growth, at least expectations. So you're looking at a stock trading at 30 times. You know, EPS had expected to grow 10, 11 percent. You start to get into a very expensive stock. And I'll just make one other point. This is a $156 billion market cap company. It's one of the largest semiconductor right. companies on the planet, okay, by market cap. It trades it on about 11 times sales. That is a massive, massive number for a company that sort of size. So I think if you are in this one for the long term, you'd love to see this stock back towards 220 right. and kind of reload um, because it really does need to gather some steam into 2019. And I think that could happen. I mean, look, the guidance, I mean, I wouldn't give, you know, you know, accelerated or really optimistic guidance in this tape either, especially given the valuation and how crowded this trade is, if I'm, you know, management. But I look at the the, the buy side expectations, that was a very important point about revenue, buy side expectations actually missed. That shows you that the hedge funds were crowded in this name on the long side and had high expectations for hope for a pop and to get out. They're going to purge out tomorrow. I wait one, two days maybe and start buying stock on weakness. Is this going to be, is this a bellwether for the performance of the rest of the group and going back to well, the tip of the iceberg, which we, it's, it's become a phrase we've loved to uh, use on the show. Tip of the iceberg, the past, tip of the spear. Some people like to use that as well. Sphere, I, I, think, uh, I think in combo, let's see what happens with the guidance, but in combo with uh, applied materials, in combo with a couple other things that have been going on out there, if you, if you start to see a pattern, then it could be a tip of the spear type of thing. Question though, Turing, is this a delay or is this a project? Or we don't know yet. No, it's I'm a launch. Sure. It's a launch. So it's, it's a, no, but what does she look like? Lipton or something? What? Yeah. What does she look like? Lipton? <laughs> I mean, listen, the stock I, what, is down ten dollars. I heard right, Turing, right. and all I think of is Allen. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, but the I stock's mean, down ten bucks. It's like a rounding error. No big deal, you know. And so I think it's really important to to answer your question. Is you know I made this point last night. Some of the biggest semiconductor stocks by market cap are in correction territory. Broadcom. Intel, Taiwan Semi. So if this were to join that group, you really have to start worrying about a meaningful correction. You're a tip and of the spear early, kind of guy. I'm a tip yeah. of the spear sort of guy. Coming up, it is the revenge of the Tesla shorts. New details being reported about how Elon Musk's harsh words for the haters could have him in hot water. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. So you're telling me there's a chance. That's what the Bitcoin hodlers are saying. And a key event today may just give them hope. We'll explain. Plus, 
will tell you the simple steps that could have you doing just that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Walmart is soaring. The stock up more than 9% after crushing its earnings report this morning. The world's biggest retailer saying online sales grew by 40% during the quarter. The company adding $25 billion in market cap alone today. Meantime, the move comes as its much bigger rival, Amazon, has also been surging and in the process turning the 1967 hit by the Turtles into a very important question for investors today. Can Walmart and Amazon be so happy together? Karen, what do you say? Uh, I get they both seem to be, so I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> but just looking at, at Walmart alone, I mean, very impressive numbers. I kind of have to say I'm a little bit surprised it was up that much, right? The numbers were really good. That's great. However, right, it's still, it's still, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of competition out there, yeah. right? I, I thought that, I mean, online was, was very, very good. The same store sales, that was really, really important. Impressive to me that they were able to do it while they're spending, so to be able to keep their margins, all that was really impressive, but for Walmart to move that much, that is an enormous, yeah. enormous but it just got move. back to even on the year, really. I mean, now, exactly. it's, now it's flat it's on the year. It's still underperforming its sector. still underperforming yeah. the sector. It's back to even on the year. And look, I mean, look, they manage the business well. I mean, I, I've been negative on Walmart uh, because of the expectations of spend that they have to, to, to go after to, to really kind of compete in this area. You know, e-commerce is, is really a, a very small part of their business. I mean, you know, 16 are on pace to do what, $16 billion in sales in, in, in e-commerce, where you got Amazon that's got $320 billion in GMV. It's not even a competition. The big question on Walmart this, right? is going into the analyst day when they have it up in, in November, I believe it's November, hearing about uh, the cash burn for India, cash burn for Flipkart is going to be very important on people's minds. Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, when you say investment, price investment, you know what price investment is? Right. Discounting. That's like that's like an analyst speak, right? Yeah, for discounting exactly. price investment, yeah, exactly. and that's what's going to happen. And they're more exposed to groceries, which don't have much of a margin here. Right. right. So, to me, if you want to play the entire sector and the entire shift to online, why don't you look at something like the warehouse sector, like Prologis Trust (PLD), which was up today. They have the warehouses. No matter who goes online, you're going to need a warehouse. So that that's the way to play this sector. Yeah, I think this is a matter of sentiment. I mean, here's a company that um, told us what they were going to do. They told us how they're going to invest. They told us who they're competing with. They were making these investments um, in online. They were doing some stuff in-store to get traffic to a point where I think it was the best in-store traffic they've had in years. So the stock has been trading below 90 for like the last four or five months, down from 110 in late January, 110 yeah. in late January. So you had a matter uh, a manner of like low expectations, really poor sentiment. You had all their peers doing very well with all this enthusiasm about the U.S. consumer. So to me, this move makes sense. To your point about 10%, I think it's just kind of re-rating a little bit. So, um, you know, your point about November, I think that's going to be really important. The analyst meeting, you know, last November, this stock had a massive 10% gap too, and then it kept on going and going. It had to consolidate for a while. I would expect this stock to consolidate in the high 90s, maybe right. around 100 before some next catalyst. Before we go to our guests, oh, yeah. would you rather Ooh. Amazon or Walmart? BK. Oh, I'd rather Walmart here. Why? Uh, well, because they've got their momentum back here. I mean, I don't know if I'd buy it tomorrow. Flat I'd on let... the year is their momentum back? Yeah, up, the, up today, absolutely. So why couldn't, why couldn't it run from here? All right, let's settle this debate with the charts. Robert Slimer of Fundstrack Global Advisors over at the Plasma. Hey, Rob. Hey, Melissa. So, I mean, really the question is can they, can they uh, get along together? I think they can. I think the real question is, is Walmart going to unseat Amazon's long-term secular growth? And I think technically there is not a case to say that Walmart is going to take over, uh, take over leadership from, Walmart, uh, from Amazon. 
I mean, let's take a look at the long-term chart here. As a starting point, Amazon's long-term trend is still firmly intact to the upside. Is it a little extended? Yes. You know, better entry points are probably off that 200-day moving average, of, as we've seen here and here and here and here. But I think the relative strength continues to build to the upside. So it's really early to make a case that something is changing in terms of Amazon's long-term chart. If we look at the next shorter-term chart, again, maybe it's a little extended here, and we'd rather buy it off that 200-day moving average here and here. So maybe you get a bit of a pullback, but the relative strength is still driving to the upside. It's always a mistake to be shorting or, or betting against established leadership in a bull market. So we want to stay long Amazon from a long-term perspective. However, when we look at Walmart's chart from a long-term standpoint, it's actually really an attractive chart. It's been in a huge trading range since 2000. It's almost 20, 20, uh, 25, 28 years, and it's just starting to break out. So that's the kind of thing that real price chartists just love. You've got this move starting to come out of the base. It's very exciting. Everybody loves it. But here's the problem. When you look at the relative performance, you really haven't been paid to be owning Walmart versus the S&P 500. Now, it is starting to turn. I think there's money to be made in Walmart. But again, I'm going to go back to the point that I think that Amazon's long-term leadership is still firmly intact. Now, when we look at Walmart from a short-term standpoint, again, it's coming out of this little trading range. That's exciting. I think there's more upside. I think the trade is to the, to the upside in, in Walmart. But here's the key point. When we run Walmart relative to Amazon, it's going to be a long time before we can make a technical case that that leadership of Walmart is starting to outperform Amazon. I think there's about a 20% move to the upside on a relative basis between Walmart and Amazon, but I think longer term the leadership is still firmly with Amazon. All right, Rob, why don't you come on over? We got some questions for you. Michelle will bring the chair in. Thank you, Michelle. Good to see you. So just to underscore, in the would you rather game, you would choose Amazon. I'd choose Amazon from a long-term standpoint. I do think Walmart's going higher. To Dan's point, I think it consolidates, starts to move higher from here. It's a good long-term price chart, but I think the leadership is still firmly in Amazon's. How does the overall uh, rally in XRT look to you at this it's point? It's starting to get a little bit extended, but uh -huh. overall, I still think those domestic-related stocks, despite today's rally, are still crushing a lot of the international names, and particularly the international markets with Despite being oversold, you can get a bounce in those names, but I still think that their uh, leadership is still on the domestic side. So, Rob, you know, we spent a lot of time last month talking about uh, Apple to one trillion in market cap. So we have Amazon at 920. Like, do you kind of factor that in from a sentiment standpoint? You just said that the incline is getting a little steep away from the moving average. But before this is all said and done, this one's going to tick one trillion. Amazon, that is. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I don't see if we just look at, at leadership in the market and how. Uh, good it's been to stay focused on those names as core parts of a portfolio. There's not a lot of evidence it's turning around yet. I think it's going higher. Let me ask you, on the middle chart you had, which was the relative at Walmart relative to the S&P 500, the last time Walmart hit this low relative to the S&P 500, it actually it did. went sharply it did. higher. Does it, is that so not how I, you read a chart? I don't know. Well, I, I, think of it, I think of it less as an oscillator. When you get oversold, it starts to bounce back. I mean, think about GE's chart and that relative performance. It took a long time to hit various levels on the way down before it snapped back, well, even marginally. Uh, so I'd be careful thinking that just because it's down at these levels, it necessarily needs to uh, recover all the way to the upside. But again, I do think that Walmart's gone sideways. It's breaking out. It's going to pick up. I think you've got more upside in the name. But if you're a secular growth leader, Pretty tough to be buying Walmart, which is a nice value stock, good dividend, versus Amazon, which I think is going to continue to be a very solid growth stock. 
Rob, thanks. Thank you. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Coming up, Bitcoin is rallying in Wall Street's crypto king. Bart Smith says there's a new trading product that could be the answer to the prayers of the crypto universe. He'll be here to explain. Plus, the number of 401k millionaires hitting a record high. And Karen Fireman here is going to tell you how you can be a millionaire, too. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got the new details on the SEC's reported probe into Tesla CEO Elon Musk and his wild round of tweets. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago for all the details on this developing story. Hey, Phil. Melissa, we've been talking for some time that ultimately when the SEC looks into this uh, matter of what did Elon Musk tweet out, when it, what was his intent when he tweeted out, it gets to this question of what was he trying to do? Was he trying to flush out the shorts? And according to Dow Jones, there are three questions that the SEC are focusing on, at least three questions. The first one, did Musk tweet about potential deal in order to hurt short sellers? In other words, what was his intent here? Was it truly just to notify investors of a potential deal? Or is it his way of saying, you know what, I'm tired of dealing with you guys. What did Musk tell directors about a potential deal? Were there previous communications? Were there text messages? Were there discussions? What was the conversation between him and the directors, if there was any? And that really is the third question as well. What communications did Musk have with the Tesla board of directors? We've talked over the last couple of days how Tesla has retained uh, its own advisors to look into the possibility of going private and also to deal with this issue of uh, the SEC probe. And Elon Musk also has his own set of advisors to advise him as the largest shareholder in terms of whether a deal should take place. Remember, this is all about one single tweet last Tuesday and anything that might have led up to him issuing this tweet when he said, am considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. That immediately led to days of questions about well, where's the funding, what is it, is there a term sheet, et cetera. On Monday of this week, Elon Musk Give us a little bit of an explanation when he wrote in a blog post, I left the July 31st meeting, a meeting with the director of the Saudi, managing director of the Saudi Sovereign Fund. I left the July 31st meeting with no question that a deal with the Saudi Sovereign Fund could be closed and that it was just a matter of getting the process moving. This is why I referred to, quote, funding secured in the August 7th announcement. Again, guys, it gets back to this question. What was the intent and what were the actual facts regarding his discussions with the Saudi funding, et cetera. So just to be clear, Phil, in terms of the questions that you outlined, and specifically with the intent question behind the tweet, whether it was to flush out short sellers and the communications right. to the directors, these seem like two separate things. Are each uh, individual issue, are they separate violations of securities laws? So if Good question. I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to tell you okay. if, if they are, are, are separate or if they're linked together. And one other thing to keep in mind, Melissa, uh, if once this story broke, I got flooded with people emailing me or sending me uh, direct messages on Twitter saying, boy, there's a lot of commentary Elon Musk has issued in the past regarding the shorts in terms of you'll be okay, you'll be, you'll be paying the price, et cetera. And I'm paraphrasing here. So sure. it'll be interesting as the SEC looks at those previous tweets as well. I mean, even as he tweeted right to the Goldman Sachs annals before they restricted a Tesla stock about the call. Uh, coming from that firm, basically saying you're going to be wrong. Um, so right. there's a lot of that in terms of paper trail. Phil, thank you. Phil Lebeau in Chicago. But that is separate from proving the intent behind a specific tweet. And I would imagine that it would be very difficult to actually say Elon Musk was thinking about 
flushing right. the shorts out when he tweeted that tweet on that day? Well, a couple things. Maybe there is some sort of trail that will easily give us the answer mm -hmm. of, you know. That's true. Right? There's that. There's also, those two things can be true. He can be wanting to take it private and simultaneously wanting, wanting to, to hurt the, the shorts, right. right? Those can both be true. And I suspect, actually, that both are true. Still, I, I'm not sure what the remedy is. I mean, they're, they're clearly the SEC should be having this. This is probably the most exciting thing to happen to them. And I don't know how long. I don't remember how the overstock situation got resolved with Byrne and the shorts. And that was a very heated yes. many months of exchange. I think the end of the day, the remedy would likely be some sort of fine. But if I mean, it gets a little scary if you think Elon is the key to the whole business. Which I actually do, and right? And many people. do. Many do, right? And I, I believe he will be able to stay. But sometimes these spin, these things spin out of control, right? Yeah. I, I mean, so I, there's that outlier situation, right? Which has to be factored in. Yeah, but I, and I would say it's maybe not even so much of an outlier, right? I mean, there is something here. So I would be very concerned buying into Tesla. You have to do it with options, or you could even do it with you know puts on this thing if you if you think that. There is going to be a problem there. I mean, there's multiple tweets. We yeah. don't know what the intent necessarily was, but I'll tell you, even his statement about, oh, I had the, I thought I had the funding. It was just a matter of signing the paper. I mean, you know, I, well, I want to buy a house, too. It's just a matter of getting the mortgage, right? It's, I don't know if that's funding secured. And remember, that was his best spin on funding secured. Right. The right. blog. The blog yeah. was his best spin. All right, well, let's see what the options pit indicates. And... It indicates that it could be a bumpy road ahead for Tesla, Dan. Yeah, in the near term, especially. I mean, when you look at the September at the money straddle, that is the stock at 335, that is the September 335 call premium, plus the September 335 put premium. It's offered at about $41. That's about 12% in either direction. So if you're going to buy the implied movement between now and September expiration, you would need this stock to rally more than $41 or decline more than $41 to make money on that. That is much greater than usual, uh, especially as we go into to a um, holiday-shortened uh, sort of uh, period over the next couple of weeks, right there, TripAdvisor? Yeah, right. So um, I would just make one other point on that. Look at this five-year chart of this stock. And, you know, throughout this whole period, they've been doing capital raises. And Elon Musk has bought on almost every one, the equity and the converts, yeah. that sort of thing. But look at over the last year and a half. It's really consolidated a great deal in a very wide range. It's showing a lot of uncertainty. And I just make one last point, and this is something that we were discussing the other day. That tweet indicates that Elon Musk is a seller, and he put the price out there at 420. That's right. What do you mean indicating well, that he's, he's a seller? Well, he's taking the company private. That you know makes what I mean? him a buyer. Well, no. not buyer, particularly. No, no. He's not going to have any more equity than he did before. Um, so, he's, well, so that doesn't make him a seller. Being a buyer, at, he will hold theoretically will hold, yes. the same equity does. or close no, to. How does that make him a seller? Kind of does. He will be a buyer I don't, at a higher I, I, price. Do you, do you think that he's going to end up with more equity than he has? Day, if there well, was a deal a, that if, would close day one, with all the then debt yes, that they would need to do, do you think right, he's going to end no up way. more owning more equity than he does right now? I, I think he plans on rolling in his entire equity, and so that would be at 420. Yeah. So just mathematically, yes. It what makes he does, no right sense after that, I don't in a know. negotiation to put the price no, out it doesn't. in the first piece of conversation. We don't know that. That's the end price. We don't, it we makes don't know. No, and what it could about be, that tweet makes sense? It could be 300 sense, for right? all we know. Or it could be five. Or it could be right. five. Or when but, we were surmising yesterday, but I maybe at the very end, Carl Icahn comes in and says, yeah. it's not enough. Wouldn't that be like a twist? Death. That would be well, ironic. That'd be quite a twist. <laughs> all right, let's hope that happens. <laughs> Just for entertainment purposes. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Bitcoin has bounced around this year, but what will it get? What will it get?
it to out of purgatory, she tried to say. Wall Street's crypto king will be here. Plus, what would you do with a million bucks? Well, a record number of Americans are answering that question for themselves tonight. We'll have that story and much more straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A Bitcoin ETF may be far off in the distance, but a similar way to play the crypto universe just hit the market. Bob Pisani is breaking it down from the NYSE. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. There's no Bitcoin ETF, but since 2015, Europeans have had access to a Bitcoin ETN or exchange traded note. The XBT Bitcoin trackers trades in Swedish krona, and there is also a Bitcoin tracker that trades in euros. Now, both trade on the Nasdaq Stockholm Exchange in Sweden, so it's listed and regulated in Sweden. As of today, you don't need kroner to buy this ETN. You can buy it in dollars. This presumably will make it easier for American investors with a brokerage account to own Bitcoin through an alternative means. Now, as you can see, the Bitcoin Tracker 1 does reasonably track the U.S. Bitcoin index, both down about 50 percent so far this year. All right, this sounds like good news, but Bitcoin barely moved today. Though the U.S.-based Bitcoin Investment Trust, that's a closed-end fund that does own Bitcoin directly, dropped about 5%. That's curious. The fund trades at a premium to Bitcoin, so maybe some investors took money out of that fund and put it into this Tracker 1. Finally, uh, what is the difference between an ETF and an ETN or exchange-traded note? It's important. With an ETF, you own the underlying commodity. In this case, it would be Bitcoin. With an exchange-traded note, you generally do not. You own a debt instrument that's backed by the issuers that track an index or a commodity, but doesn't actually own that commodity. The good news here is you don't hold the underlying assets, so there's very little security issues with this ETN. Okay, here's the bad news. The investment's unsecured. If the fund goes bust, you just get in line behind all the other creditors. And, Melissa, important to note, this is not a new ETN. It's just you can buy it using dollars now, but it's not a new one. It's been around since 2015. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani at okay. the New York Stock Exchange. What does this mean for Bitcoin? Is this finally going to be a catalyst, Speaks? Well, this one actually took me a little bit by surprise. I didn't think this would be as big of a deal as it turned out being today. Traded, I think, around 5 or $6 million, which is a lot for the very first day. So what this does is it allows you to buy you in your brokerage account. But Bob also mentioned the GBTC, which trades at a premium. You might see some people, and perhaps we saw it today because GBTC was down 5%, selling out GBTC and buying this one. And actually, you can buy more of this one because GBTC trades at such a premium. So that actually would be new demand for Bitcoin. So if we start to see that, then yeah, this could be a catalyst. And the way it traded today, like I said, shocked me. I did not think this would be a big deal, but it is. All right, well, even with the introduction of Bitcoin Tracker 1, the cryptocurrency is still stuck in Bitcoin purgatory. Yes, it's that place between 6,000 and 7,500 where hopes are dashed but not enough to throw in the proverbial towel. Begging the question, does a cryptocurrency need to see another hellish drop before another big comeback? Let's bring in Bart Smith, the head of digital asset at Digital Assets of Susquehanna. He's known here as Wall Street's crypto king. Bart, good to see you again. Hello. Um, are, as, are you as enthusiastic about this first day of trading here in the U.S. as BK is? You know, it's, it's $8 million traded today, and if you had that repeat, you know, in a fund over and over again, that would add up pretty quick. So I, I would think that if that was per, you know, persisted over time, that would be a big deal. Uh, market didn't move, you know, and the, and the market is in show me mode, right? And, and, and a lot of th there's a lot of news that has come along that you would have thought would have been a catalyst uh, where the market hasn't responded, although purgatory would imply that eventually it ascends to heaven. Uh, but w we'll see. Um, but so, yeah, I think I think right now the the. <laughs> 
I think right now what you're seeing is, is we're right back to where we were. I mean, we were here, I was here a month ago where we were talking about breaking out, and, and Dan's been kind of spot on that, that, you know, this is a bear market rally. Until we break to, to new highs, he's not buying it, and so far he's been right. I think the most important point, though, he just yeah. made is like it's just the news. We've had tons of guests come on and say this is going to be a great catalyst, right. and you get a little bit of rally, and then it makes a new low, which really speaks to anything that we've ever seen. It's kind of bear market action. But I mean, isn't this sort of product? Isn't it not as bullish for the crypto space as a product that would actually own the underlying commodity? Uh, or, or was SEC, you know, uh, uh, regulated? Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that that I think that that uh, an, an ETF in the United States that was SEC registered, I think, would would have a much bigger effect. But again, if new if if there's something that's driving new money into the price of Bitcoin, you would imagine that that would that would raise it up. So how easy is this for your average investor, at, you know, Schwab or somewhere like that or TD Ameritrade to have it, to buy this ETF? Uh, again, they'd say that's really more of a question for, for each broker-dealer, right? So these are not, these are not, every broker-dealer, every investment house has a list of securities that their, their, their investors can buy. And so at some places you might be able to buy it. There's been other places, you know, J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon have said that they're not going to let their investors invest in Bitcoin. And so, again, it, it, it's really dependent on where you have your brokerage account and whether you can get access to, you know, whatever it is, an FTicker or an ETF at that place. So, you know, I know a bunch of people who were able to buy it at Fidelity today. I checked it out as well. But let me ask you a little bit more about some of the other news, right? right. So I thought the ICE NYSE was big news. You're in the futures space as well. They're going to be doing this futures custody. What is your thought on that, and why didn't the market react to it? It was very surprising. I think that you saw a lot of the big names in, 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 this, in the space, you know, Novogratz and, and, and many others who were out there. Ari Paul was, were all on Twitter saying, like, I don't know why this isn't a bigger deal, right? And, and I think that... You know, you have a CFTC-regulated warehouse. And, you know, maybe it was a slow Friday in August, right? And, and maybe warehouse, for those who aren't familiar with the commodities world, doesn't have the same kind of, uh, you know, impact as, as a custodian might. But, yeah, I mean, this is an opportunity for a NYC, ICE, you know, the parent company, to, to, and, and ICE Futures to, to custody warehouse in, in you know, the, the spot commodity for institutions. Uh, it's a name that they, tr they trust. And a bigger point is you plug right in. If you are a market maker, you're a trader, you already have a fixed connection in. You already have the technology. There isn't that much of a build. So that, that's, a, that's a head scratcher. That's one where you thought this is whatever, you know, other people will come in the show and say this would be a big deal. And, uh, and so we'll see. I think it's one of those things where that like I said, it's in show me mode, right? When, yeah. when they register those and when they trade and when volumes are high, I think the market will come back in. But you've seen over and over there's going to be an ETF and then there isn't. And, it, you know, we're, we're, we're knocking back and forth between the 6,000 and uh, 6,800 level again. Purgatory. Bart, thank you. Bart thank Smith you of Susquehanna. If we pulled up the Bitcoin chart, we didn't know it was Bitcoin. It could be any chart in the world. Would you say higher or lower? This thing goes higher okay. or lower? Whatever this asset is. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I would say looking at just the charts without any other knowledge, I would say it's going, it looks like it's going to go lower. I mean, the technical setup right now for, for Bitcoin does not look promising in my eyes. Yeah, so obviously it's very heavy. And then when you overlay the, spe the fact that it doesn't rally on good news, I would say that in the underlying thing, when you talk to guys like Bart or people who actually are focused on the custody and the demand for those sorts of services, it leads me to believe that there are institutional investors who are very interested in this asset class, not for a rally back to 8,000, right. but for the next 8 for the to 10 to 20 years. Right. There's no doubt. Coming up, 
You want to be a millionaire? Of course you do. A record number of Americans just hit that milestone in their 401ks. So how do you get there too? Stick around. We'll have much more on that next. And let's take a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. As tonight, Jim is uh, swapping out a letter from his famous fang trade. What's his new acronym? Tune in at the top of the hour to find out. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Good news for the nest egg. A record number of 401k accounts now hold a million dollars or more. Dom Chu is in the newsroom for us with that story. Hey, Dom. Well, the millionaire ranks are growing, Melissa, and a stock market near record high territory is the reason why. According to data released by brokerage and advisory giant Fidelity, the number of 401k retirement accounts held by Fidelity grew by 45% over the same time last year. So this is the first quarter of the year where there were just around 157,000 of those accounts that had balances of at least a million bucks. The firm does attribute the growth in millionaire accounts to not just market moves, but also investing discipline. Investors are continuing to save and many are actually increasing their contribution rates to retirement accounts. Fidelity notes that around three out of 10 savers boosted the contribution rate to their retirement accounts last year, meaning the average contribution rate is now around 8.6 percent. That, by the way, the highest percentage in nearly a decade. But it's not just the big accounts from big savers that's participating in this trend. The average 401k balance now sits at around $102,000. And the average IRA balance is $105,100. So how do you stay on track to grow your 401k? Fidelity experts say it's important to start saving as early as possible and use that power of compounding returns. Also, take full advantage of any company match you may be entitled to for making contributions to your account so you can see at least how you can work your way up to contributing to the max for your employer match. And then don't invest too conservatively relative to your age, Melissa. If you are young, don't be afraid to use the stock market as opposed to bonds. It's something we should all think about. Back over to you guys. All right, Dom. Thanks. Dom Chu in the newsroom. So what does it take to have $1 million in your 401k? How do you get there? Our Karen Feinerman is over at the Plaza with a new segment that we are calling... Fast 401k. So, Chairwoman, take it away. All right. So, the very first thing and the hardest thing really to do is to start saving as soon as possible, right? It doesn't matter whether or not you have saved up until this point. For the rest of your life, today is the very best day for you to start saving. So, don't let not having it done it keep you from making that same mistake again. So, that's the really important thing. That's first. The second thing is, this is so important, use the company match. Companies are allowed to contribute to your 401k to up to 3% of your salary, right? So this is free money. You have to, if you, can, if you can do this every year, get free money, there's no reason you shouldn't do that. So you contribute 6% or more, they will contribute up to 3%. Remember, this keeps compounding. So if you're really young, if you're a millennial here, Let's see what you're, you have to decide when are you going to need the money out for retirement. So let's say 60. So as Dom said, when you're young, you want to have a much more aggressive composition of your portfolio. You might want to be, let's say, something like 80-20, stocks to bonds. 80 stocks, you consider that riskier, but also likely to have higher returns, and you have a longer time for that to compound. And if it ends up having a drawdown, meaning you lose money, you have a lot of time to make that back. This is just sort of a... a proxy for what one might do. You have to weigh your own situation and how aggressive you want to be 
For me, I always like to be more aggressive, not in the stocks that I pick, but in the composition of the portfolio. I would probably be higher, but I'm older than a millennial, so then maybe I would start to take it down. But the very first thing, start saving as soon as possible and use the match. Those are the critical points. BK or millennial here on the desk is a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me some avocado toast. I have a question actually about the particular type. So what exactly is a Roth IRA? Would you do it any different? Is it just for people with the last name Roth? Uh, that's a great question. It is not just for people with the last name Roth. The thing about a 401k like this, this is pre-tax dollars that you put in. Right, so you don't pay tax on them. You put them in here in a 401k, and you, when you take the money out, you get taxed. A Roth, which actually I prefer, you get taxed. The, the money's taxed going in. It's after-tax dollars that you use to put in the Roth IRA. However, when you take it out, you aren't taxed. To me, the beauty of that is I won't know what the tax rate will be, but I'll know that it's not taxed on the way out. So both are great instruments. I happen to have a Roth, but both are great Start saving today. So within that stock bucket, Karen, and I understand that that stock bucket adjusts according to your age, but within that bucket, does your allocation to riskier stocks also slide as you get older? For instance, I mean, if you're a millennial and you got 80%, is, is most of that 80% going to be FANG stocks, for instance? You can choose. Most places will let you choose. You can choose as aggressive as you want. You could even choose your own company stock. Other places, you can just say, you know what? Do it for me. I'm sort of not so pro-risk and they'll do it for you. They'll rebalance. All right. Great uh, work, Chairwoman. Thank you. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trades speaks. You know, if the dollar goes higher, that's deflationary. You buy bonds, TLT. Karen. Roth. Yes, I like Macy's. We saw it a little washed out yesterday. I think it's good to right here. Uh, I'm buying NVIDIA on the weakness. This Turing launch uh, is uh, going to be important to them, and the gross margins weakness not. So buy NVIDIA. Dan. Yeah, I like Cisco here. All right. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.